Welcome to a podcast on fire on profiling anger and danger has two faces. And this is another entry in the Versus series where we discuss two movies, uh, but not in a film battle royale kind of way. But we still stack them against each other and compare similarities uh, and such, but uh, don't crown a winner at the end. Uh, and uh, here's what uh, POF historian Jay Lee chose for us this time. Sorted under the banner Beardy at the Helm and Beardy for Hire. Lung Gaian, aka Beardy, makes his uh, directorial debut with the Wild Revenge Actioner Profile in Anger from 1984. And in the Shaw Brothers production Danger Has Two Faces from 1985, he's an ex cop turned assassin for hire. My name is Kenny a with me once more, kindly lending his time and energy and um, passion, even though uh, this is new territories for him, but he still has passion for it, is uh, Michael Scott of the Adkins Undisputed Podcast. Welcome back, buddy. I'm so happy to be back, Kenny. Thanks for thanks for bringing me back for this one. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to, to get into this. Like going in blind in, in for two movies and kind of blind on the performer in a way. It's not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, it's uh, it might surprise you. It might confirm that uh, I don't want to watch that performer ever again. So, uh, but we'll see if you have like a motivation to. Oh yeah, long guy on. Uh, marathon for two months straight coming right up <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and especially because you know the last ones you had me on i those were movies i was very familiar with and a lot of times when i go on podcasts it's because people want me to talk about the movies that i have an area of expertise in and so it was really nice to come into you know obviously i'm, I'm familiar with him but i hadn't seen either of these movies so it was nice to come in and be like okay now i'm gonna get some education this time and and that was that was a really nice change i really appreciated that the education is this is how he looks without a beard which is weird almost unrecognizable and this is how he looks with a beard fully recognizable <laughs> i'm actually like early on in my hong kong cinema exploration when i when i saw him in 90s comedies and i knew warriors too and probably know the victim to uh, to a degree I, I didn't recognize that that was him in uh, those uh, kooky Wong Jing movies, uh, Lost Hero in China, for instance. So um, when he ch- shaves, he um, he takes on um, a little bit more new look, uh, in- <laughs> innocent look and not as fierce look, uh, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll get to this as we uh, explore two of Beardy's uh, movies. Uh, so let's do some contact information really quick and we're obviously going to do a plug for your podcast as well. Uh, but uh, I'll keep it simple. For all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. We have uh, all the back catalog of Podcast on Fire episodes on there, but also the What's Korean Cinema uh, show archive and Japan on Fire and This Week in Sleaze and so forth, all located on there. Uh, follow the Facebook links to join the discussion group and uh, follow the uh, Twitter button and Instagram button to join us on those social media uh, platforms and uh, of course subscribe to us on apple podcasts and stream us on stitcher radio and spotify or wherever you find podcasts so let me throw over to you uh, for people who do not know this deep into the run of atkins undisputed uh, what is the show about and where can people find it yeah so it is uh the most complete scott adkins podcast in the world uh normally i try and do that with an accent but the last time i did it it came out scottish not uh eastern european so i'm are gonna you trying just... to, are you trying to do it in his accent you mean 
<laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I usually try and do it as the I'm the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. But it just it goes it right into Scottish. I get I roll. Aye, 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 it is. Aye, it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, I am going through the career of international action star Scott Adkins, uh, who is my favorite actor. Uh, and I thought that he was somebody whose career warranted analysis. And uh, so I've started doing that. And luckily enough, he found out about it and has joined me uh, for several of the episodes. We actually just wrapped up at the time of this recording a mini series that he and I did uh, where we crowned the greatest action star ever. We did a six episode mini series where we did one with a bunch of honorable mentions and then uh, went through each of our top five picks for the greatest action stars of all time. Uh, we were unanimous on who we crowned as number one. Uh, I'm not going to spoil that here. People are just going to have to check that out. But uh, I think it's fair to say podcast on fire fans will probably be fairly happy with who. Yay, we... Michael Wong won. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad. I didn't even I, I, I thought about putting him on the honorable mentions and I didn't. I felt so bad. I know Wong gifts is just going to be too quirky, really. I mean, uh, he, yeah. he, his identity isn't an action star, but uh, uh, knockoff is uh, obviously uh, the masterworks of all of uh, all time. But um it's okay if you deselect it. And in a in a way, we also talk about him a little bit because one of our other honorable mentions that we spent a lot of time talking about was Brandon Lee. So, of course, we talk about uh, Legacy of Rage, mm. which, is, you know, some people consider that a Brandon Lee movie. I know uh, most people here consider that a Michael Wong movie, understandably so. So, you know, I get it. It's It's important to watch for both. Um, and so anyway, that's that is the podcast. You can find it at the easiest way to find it is just go to Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed Pod. Uh, you can find it on any major podcast app of choice. If you want to follow me personally, I, the only real social media I'm on is Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at Hibachi Justice on both of those. Excellent. Well, uh, Linktree will be linked too in the show post as well. So uh, let's get going. We're going to do a little rundown of what's to come here. Uh, so in the profile in anger section, we'll talk a little bit of the career of uh, Langaya, a.k.a. Beatty, and then we review his debut movie as director of Profile in Anger. There will be a break and then we'll discuss director Alex Chung for a bit, who is the director of Danger Has Two Faces, and uh, then we review that movie and uh, timestamps will be available in the show post um, and uh, we're gonna take a music break listen to 30 seconds of uh, uh, glorious uh, music from profile in anger and uh, we'll be right back And welcome back in the first review of this versus uh, episode, our little sub-series here on Podcast on Fire is Profile in Anger from 1984 and plot from my review of the film. 
the character of Long Chun Yu, uh, Yu uh, played by Long Gaian, meets up with his uh, fiance, played by Pata at the airport. While there, he spots his childhood friend Wong Kin Hang, played by Damien Lau, and invites him home to catch up on old times. Wong is in Hong Kong for a specific reason, though, and that is to kill jewelry tycoon Wai Kit, played by Chang Yi. Speaking of the victim, he's in that, uh, who had their Wong's father murdered to avoid any competition in his line of business. The hit on Wai Kit fails, and now he sends his henchmen towards Long Chun Yu and his fiance to clean up all tracks. So this is the directorial debut of Lang Gaian, whose English name, and I didn't know this, is apparently Brian. Uh, but he's also known amongst the fans as Beery. He was born in Hong Kong, and uh, with a natural sort of athleticism and looks, uh, Lang Gaian started acting at Shaw Brothers in 1974 for director Chang Che, appearing in Shaolin Martial Arts. He actually stuck with Chang Che as they made films in Taiwan via Chang Che's own production company, Chang's Film Co. Company, uh, whose films uh, Shaw Brothers distributed, uh, so that's why you got uh, these on uh, DVD and, and Blu-ray. They weren't like small, small little indie flicks that uh, faded into obscurity. And uh, Long Gaian was present uh, with Chang Che until 1976, when he started freelancing for both Hong Kong and Taiwanese martial arts uh, action film productions, uh, getting a chance uh, to uh, appear in uh, supporting and co-lead roles under the direction of. Uh, Samo Hong. Uh, in 1978, Lang Gaian graced the screen with grace in Warriors 2, playing the older version of real-life Wing Chun practitioner Lung Chan. And his younger version would be performed by Yun Biu in Prodigal Son subsequently. That was my first time watching uh, Lang Gaian in a movie, uh, playing that very uh, distinguished and honorable um, older master in uh, Warriors 2, and he, he made an impression uh, on me. But uh, really, that, that role made a lasting impact. Uh, his grace... Uh, was there, but it, that could also be switched into ferocity and even tomfoolery, as uh, Brian appeared in Summer Homes Enter the Fat Dragon, Knockabout, Odd Couple, and Victim. Uh, the 1980s saw Beardy work a variety of roles in classic, quite tonally wild fare, such as Yun Warping's Dreadnought, where he played uh, the Wong Fei Hong disciple Lung Fun, minus the beard in that one. He's in Miracle Fighters uh, as a uh, one of the uh, sort of dueling wizards, one one of which is uh, Yun Woping's brother, Yun Chung Yan, playing uh, a female character. And uh, Lung Gaian has got grey hair and a silly beard, and they do um, slapstick and their supernatural craziness in that one, two miracle fighters. Uh, and uh, Lung Gaian also had a more serious turn as he took on the role of real-life martial arts master Fuk Yung Gap in Yun Woping's Legend of a Fighter. Uh, whose story would later be expanded upon in Fearless, where he was played by Jet Li. He worked in televisions as well, in the Wuxia novel adaptations such as Demigods and Semi-Devils and The Return of the Condor Heroes, the classic uh, Louis Chia works. Uh, but in 1984 he made his uh, feature debut as uh, director with Profile and Anger. In anger. Uh, the box office didn't lead to continual ga- uh, gigs in this vein, though, but nevertheless, he has directed 10 features over the course of his career, including My Hero, which was an early Stephen Chow vehicle, and the buddy cop comedy Bogus Cops, that I described as that formula take it to, taken to stupid levels, but it's a dare that pans out. It was quite a lot of fun, but also quite bizarre. Uh, we also saw the comedic side of Beardy as an actor appearing in Legend of a Dragon for director uh, Danny Lee and starring Stephen Chow. It's the snooker comedy starring uh, Stephen Chow. So, and uh, and again, uh, Lung, uh, he also played uh, uh, Lung Fun again, just like in Dreadnought, but this time in Wong Jing's silly Wong Fei Hong movie, Lost Hero in China. 
And uh, the new millennium has seen him appear in more high-profile fairs, such as True Legend for director Yung Woping, The Man with the Iron Fists for director Risa, and Saving General Yang f- uh, for director Ronnie Yu. And he indeed seems to be acting in mainland productions nowadays. That's a movie I haven't seen. Did, did you see that, the movie The Man with the Iron Fists, at any point in your exploration? I did. I did. I, I've seen it. I enjoyed it. It's one of those movies that I I think I admire maybe a little more than I like because it's so obvious that I mean, obvious, anybody that's familiar with Wu-Tang knows how much all of them were fans of classic martial arts and kung fu cinema. I mean, that was their entire thing. Right. And so there's no question that RZA is really bringing all of, I mean, this is a lifelong dream. You can watch the movie and and you can really feel that it's a lifelong dream for him. The problem is Riz is maybe not as good of a director as RZA thinks he is. And he's certainly not as good of an actor as he thinks he is. I think it's got a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, you know, it it, it runs a brisk 96 minutes. Russell Crowe is doing a thing. Oh, yeah, he was in it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I would tell anybody that hasn't seen it that it's it's absolutely worth watching at least once. There's there's no reason you shouldn't have it in in, you know, have watched it at some point. And a fair amount of Hong Kong uh, uh, action cinema faces in that one as well i do remember shen kwan tai might have been in it too so um so yeah they, they got some cool casting and going on there so it might be worth it to sort of like hey there's beauty there's shen kwan tai so yeah yeah i mean you've got and you've got a lot of you know good new stuff you know gordon Liu's in it daniel Wu shows up in it and also you've got some of the up and coming or or like stable western folks like dave batista's in it uh Kung Lee shows up in it. Yeah, I mean, don't expect it to blow your mind. It It's kind of a bit of a mess of a movie, but it's I think there's a lot of fun to be had uh, in watching it. One thing that's always mentioned when people talk of Lung Gaian is that he had little to no martial arts background and that he adapted very well, learning Kung Fu for film, essentially. And uh, in a DVD interview, he talks about the Loving Bruce Lee movies and Chang Che movies. Uh, he would rewatch them six or seven times in the theaters. So that, that fandom made him want to visit a film set and Chang Che's company was looking for players. So he sent in an application, got accepted, and two days after a face-to-face interview... Lung Gaian was in front of a camera, so there, there, there he was in Shaolin Martial Arts, without even knowing how a set worked or what a movie camera looked like. He, he had never learned Kung Fu or come across it in his life. He just watched Kung Fu movies a lot. And, and, and indeed, he appeared in Shaolin Martial Arts and he was trained personally by uh, Lao Ga Lung, director of 36 uh, Chamber of Shaolin. And uh, he noticed that uh, the actors all knew martial arts, but he was the exception. But clearly they could work with him and they saw talent in him and knockabout was the first time he got to try out comedy and uh, i mean it required a lot out of him even making a comedy um because kung fu comedies required kung fu so a lot of moves per shot uh, was needed but he, he powered through it despite his limited experience and he was a good imitator uh, working alongside uh, sam hong to get his demands right and uh, and fulfill them obviously uh, long guy's Iron Instincts were strong indeed, uh, and uh, that pleased the director like uh, Samo, even when it came to 
you know, acting comedically. He, he was there. He followed Samo and imitated him at the best of his abilities. And even though he, he doesn't really think he has a natural comedic personality, but um, he understood making movies required a lot uh, out of you in terms of all that, in terms of memory, agility, stamina. And clearly he met those demands as he logged more and more martial arts films, uh, demanding ones working for Samo, for instance. Uh, he reminisced about movies on a technical level. He said seven movements in a shot were short, ten common, and uh, that he'd done over 30 per shot working for Samuel. And there really was no time to think. You just had to do it, get it right, and do it well. And that included you know, details like placement of your arm, for instance. It couldn't be too high, couldn't be too low. So like makers like Samuel Hong, like Lao Galong, like Yun Waping, they were strict. And deviation wasn't acceptable. And uh, with uh, Samo, a hard kick was a hard kick. And that also needed to be done, right? So Samo's action direction was very physical. Uh, Lungayan even describes driving home at the end of a day shoot. His hands were shaking and he'd be crying. And whenever he got a break uh, during daytime when he worked, he went to lunch. And he was so exhausted and out of it, he just sat there gasping for air. And by the time he was ready to start eating... Break is over. <laughs> In you go. Fight again. Uh, but he ultimately believed that there was no other way for good movie acting. Uh, this was what he knew and this was um, a rational demand in his eyes. Uh, work needed to be this way and uh, not easy. But that was from the perspective of working with those guys specifically. Not all were as tough as he found in the decade to follow and uh, as genre preference in audiences changed. You know, Hong Kong cinema didn't stay as um, demanding. So, you know, working for Wong Jing isn't isn't uh, something that will lead to you sitting there gasping for air and and uh, not knowing and crying. You know what I mean? Like some directors, I think, he had an easier time when he was making silly films. So uh, there it is. Uh, but uh, that's a real life insight into... And and uh, it's not even touching the surface, really, how how hard it is, but how well that shows up if you look at Samuel films, uh, regardless if it's The Victim or Enter the Fat Dragon or Knockabout, and then continuing on in, in the decade. So it shows up and it's pleasurable. But thank God you and I, Michael, are not at, on the receiving end of that physical action direction. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things I love, and it, it's actually... It's actually funny we're we're talking about this right now because uh, at the time we're recording, there was an article that that dropped. You know, one of the things I talk about on my show a lot is how screen fighting and actual martial arts fighting are not the same thing, and they're very different skills. Now, I usually talk about it in in the realm of UFC guys or people like that trying to get into. Uh, screen fighting and martial arts movies and not looking good, not being very entertaining because the skills that you're going to use in an actual fight don't necessarily, you know, cinematic fighting is all about, like you mentioned, it's all about hitting marks, hitting movements, hitting motions, making sure, you know, this hand's not too high or that hand's not too high. You know, that's, that's why I, I, I'm always so in awe of guys like Jet Li or Donnie Yen or Scott Adkins who, can do both but i've i've had several conversations with scott about you know he's co-starred with some actual you know some mma guys and stuff and has said they they literally do not know how to do anything but other than go full speed and so it's actually up to him as the guy who knows how to do both to be able to 
move and make sure otherwise his head's going to get taken off. Um, you know, I remember him talking about fighting Andre Arlovsky in Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning was one of the most kind of terrifying things he's ever done in his life because Arlovsky just doesn't know how to do anything but try and kill his opponent. Well, the flip side to that, though, is because of that, that also means that you don't actually have to be a martial artist to be able to be a good screen fighter. Most people are terrible at it. And this is why I was bringing this up, because as we're recording, there's an article going around about the Marvel Netflix Iron Fist and how everybody other than Jessica Henwick, but in particular, the star Finn Jones was not willing to put in the work that it would take to actually make himself look like, you know, Iron Fist is supposed to be the greatest martial artist in the world. Right. And one of the things I love about Lankarian, uh, about Beardy, I'm just going to call him Beardy because that is what he feels like to me. One of the things I love about Beardy is, man, this guy put the work in. This guy wanted to be in movies so bad. That he he grew up, you know, he was emulating all these moves. And so even though he didn't have the fighting instinct, he had the brain to memorize movement and to memorize choreography. It's like he just was willing to put the work in and he looks terrific. You know, we you mentioned so many of his movies. I think the first one where I ever really maybe saw him was probably Dreadnought. And I, I think he's tremendous in that. And I, I had the pleasure this year, earlier this year, of watching Knockabout for the first time. And man, what a film. What a tremendous martial arts film Knockabout is. Um, and so I'd seen Beardy a lot in stuff, but I'd never quite equated who he was until, you know, I started doing research for this episode. But I love that this was a guy who just put in the work. He was willing to do the work because he so badly wanted to be in these movies, even though he had no formal martial martial arts training. He put the work in. And honestly, most of the time, if I didn't know that, I'm not sure that I would have ever been able to tell that because he worked so damn hard on all of these movies. Yeah, that was my impression, too. Watching Warriors 2, clearly that's uh, a highly gifted martial arts actor playing a, a hugely gifted martial arts master. There is the there is the trick. There is the great illusion. There, there is the work effort that he put forth and uh, his instincts. Uh, so uh, that that's uh, that, that was really special to find out, especially afterwards. Really, <laughs> good imitator. Wow, he so uh, he sold me on his mastery. All right. So, so let let's lead into profile and anger, which is obviously very 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 much. Um, it's a modern film, so it's very much different from much of what we've been talking about. And as for my brief opinion, you, you don't expect action guys to always have a completely different voice in them as they turn to directing. But then again, being around action and action filmmaking, they the best pick up some instincts and understanding of how to craft these films hard and harshly. In the case of this. And uh, it's basic framework for the bloodthirsty stuff uh, that we get here. And uh, in an industry with so many great choreographers and performers, it, it was an industry that was also ready to do it hard. So having said all of that, profiling anger exists for its revenge and action, but does so in a wild, violent manner that it becomes very entertaining. It's not a movie with a breakout voice or anything. But Beardy does break people here and there, and that's more than sufficient. Uh, chalk this up as a good time with uh, this kind of story so uh, in short uh, what do you want to say first of all of them um, pro- about profile and anger in your opinion i really didn't expect this to be 
as nasty <laughs> as, it, as it was. You know, I, I, I DM'd you because uh, I had forgotten when the Cat 3 rating came in. And I was like, this really feels like a Cat 3 movie. Like, there's not enough in it. Uh, that that I would have thought, but this feels like a really pushing the boundaries cat to be movie. I was not expecting Beardy when he gets into the modern world, you know, sort of modern era to go quite so hardcore on this I, in particular, because we do full spoilers on this show, right? We're we're. I mean, I mean, uh, yes and no, but the, or this movie uh, doesn't have a huge twist or anything, so no worries about talking about the ending stuff. Yeah, it's not even so much the ending; it's the it's the scene, which I guess is kind of the ultimate narrative crux of the movie, anyway. But the scene where Mon kills Heidi is so right out of a, a raped by an angel movie. I mean, it just the the lighting. And the way it's shot and how long it takes, I really wasn't expecting like this movie to go quite as hard as it does. But I think it's all the better for it. There is something about, uh, as shameless as this sounds, there is something about uh, how grave violence bumps the grade of a movie sometimes for me. Like, ooh, I'm very much, much more interested right now because that guy just got a hole drilled into his hand. We went from two stars to four stars in one scene. I'm I'm that kind of guy. I'm sorry, but I am. Yeah, but I am too. And so, yeah, that was the thing is as this movie started. And, and again, I think we do need to mention that when this movie starts, Beardy has no beard. And that threw me for a loop. But the subtitle of this might as well be. And I believe I'm stealing from Wong Gifts on this because I think this is in his letterbox review. The subtitle of this movie might as well be The Origin of the Beard. Because, <laughs> of course, as he goes on his mission of revenge, we get the beard back because he's so focused on training that he can't be bothered to shave anymore. Right. Like that. that's just yet he shaves enough to make it the immaculately, you know, manicured beard that we're used to. But um no, I really was surprised at how hard this movie went and then how kind of crazy it gets in the third act with stuff like Mad Max trucks and uh, and and, uh, you know, what could only be considered like in another movie would be absolutely cannibal motorcycle gangs. They're not in this, but they might as well be like. This is a movie that I, I I will say I sat down to watch this and I got a very different movie than I was expecting then. And I got a much, much more entertaining movie than what I was expecting. Yeah, we'll get into some more specifics, but I'm happy, happy you enjoyed it for, for all its ugliness, I suppose. Uh, you know, watching him as a lead actor, you, you know, it was easy to determine Lung Gaian wasn't the hidden charismatic leading man, but obviously he had charisma and grace and elegance working in support. Uh, seeing him in leading roles is good, but I don't think he was destined for that necessarily. Um, so, but he's not bad in this movie, but you, can, you realize that uh, a thespian isn't born here, but that's okay. This movie isn't about that. And uh, he, they do get a thespian of sorts. Uh, Damien Lau is one of my favorite uh, Hong Kong actors, not just for action cinema in Duel to the Death, but uh, a great supporting role in School on Fire as one of the frustrated t- teachers. 
the 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 movie is the kind of genre it is so it can't afford to be subtle about things so when we meet Damien Lau you know he's carrying concerns Michael because there's a music cue saying so and, and that's fine for the framework it, is, it makes it easy to understand and you're very encouraged by the fact that this is only 83 minutes and uh, I also kind of believe that early 80s Hong Kong cinema gritty violence is, is something they did very well particularly during this time and uh, you know when you get that dark music cue you feel like oh yeah there we're gonna get some cool martial arts direction that leans towards violence and uh you know, people are going to get decked hard. Uh, maybe not in the Sam Hong school of decking hard, but uh, there is a tone here that I think is uh, uh, promising. And and then it doesn't exist for the dramatic, the heroic bloodshed brotherhood weight or anything, but uh, it comes at you to be hard and harsh and wild. It wants to present that. Do a revenge a rent story a little bit out of this world. And it does, and it's very compelling that it does so. It's got some weird characteristics that probably doesn't make sense, but you certainly remember it if you think about Philip Cofey. It's a very strange role because Lang Gayan, as a debut director, is trying to depict Philip Cofey as one of the henchmen assassins for the, uh, for Chang Yi's character. They depict him as having a domestic life. And that... Uh, <laughs> it, it it's a very strange like little subplot that certainly isn't effective but you 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 say to yourself what's there need for a backstory here that he has a quote-unquote normal domestic life this uh scarred bald man that's a, an incredibly vicious assassin but it's one of those inclusions that it might not pan out dramatically it's more kooky and goofy that he has a domestic life than anything else. But it's somehow part of the tapestry of this movie, this wild side of this movie. That, uh, yeah, sure. Bring it on. I like this. You know, it, it, it's as simple as that sometimes, if you know what I mean, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and he does, he's got that that great, there's the great fight scene towards the end where he he just, he's got this domestic life, but then during that fight, he's letting out these god-awful howls these wails you know these screams and it's just like this is one of the movies that reminds me look and i don't want people listening to think i'm i'm not calling this one of the all-time great hong kong action movies of all time by any means but this is one of the movies that actually reminds me why i fell in love with this region and these movies in the first place because we do have all these things where where this character has this domestic life and then when he fights he's almost like a i don't know he's right out of a horror movie right he just he screams and he's scarred and he looks and and it's all a fight in a junkyard with this really dramatic backlighting and steam and smoke and everything and you can even see that uh, for as much as beardy fills in caught in is confident and capable in his skills he's actually afraid of this guy like there's a lot going on here that I just think is much cooler than we typically would get from what is a bog standard could not be any more straightforward revenge movie. Can you think back to like your early exploration? Would you do you think it's incredibly hard to answer? Do you think you would be receptive to this wild, random nature where everything draw, goes in different directions and it doesn't seem to fit? one movie but it is in one movie that that kind of tonal whiplash that hong kong cinema can do 
do, do you think you would be receptive to it at the beginning of it or did you need a few years to get used to the fact that oh yeah hong kong cinema does this it's their bread and butter as well I actually pretty much was all in uh, when I first started getting into So I would have started getting into Hong Kong cinema around 91. And uh, I was pretty much all in on the tonal. It, it, I've always said this. Hong Kong cinema is what taught me you need to watch a movie all the way to the end. Because I have seen so many Hong Kong movies that are kind of a disaster for two acts. And uh, and then pull it out in the third act. You know, the one I always shout about, and I know it's one that you and I have talked about before, is Pom Pom and Hot Hot. That, that I think that <laughs> I think that movie is two thirds borderline unwatchable and one third. If one you know of- Ma Jong, then perhaps it works, but I don't. So yeah. it's like, what the hecking hell? Do something. <laughs> yeah, the final third is one of the greatest movies that I think has ever been committed to cinema. Right. Sure. Um, and. And so I feel like if I had seen this back in 1991, 1992, when I was getting into Hong Kong action, I would have been all in on it. I would have been singing the praises of this movie. I'm I'm a little bummed that I only just saw this one now because I really yeah, do. Don't think. be. I mean, it's never too late to uh, to to discover this. Uh, to discover this, it, it literally isn't too late. It's a new movie. You saw a new movie, man. Exactly. Exactly. No, and it, it again, like I said, it's it's. Because so much of modern, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit off air, uh, but so much of modern Chinese cinema is, well, let's just say it's not this. Uh, and so it was nice to see this and be reminded why I fell in love with these types of movies in the first place. can be argued that it's working from some influences here and there that uh, he'd seen uh, that, that wasn't Hong Kong action cinema, you know, for, for instance, where, you know, it has, I suppose, fair fun with slasher horror tropes, such as when uh, Michael Chan, Chan Wai Man, you know, cuts the electricity and in, uh, in Beatty's house, and his wife is there, and uh, the knife uh, that he's uh, holding, trying to stab her, it, it gets lit up by the thunderstorm outside. So, you know, it, it's that, um, and that's the horror trope, but it's. It's still very cool because you, even if you see Chan Wai Man for a millisecond, you know that's Chan Wai Man, and uh, this is not going to end up um, end up well. And uh, it, it's it's a decent little sequence of terror as uh, the wife, the Pata, place is um, taken out here. Ever so slightly reminded me of um, uh, Creepers, uh, Dario Argento's uh, Creepers, as he uh, shoves her uh, head through a window and uh but but really i think he, he'd watched a slasher movie or two crafting this sequence which is fairly grim uh, i think at one point uh chan wai man holds down her arm or hand against uh, glass on the floor so obviously there's a little bit of sensitivity that's gonna that's gonna be echoed there you you feel the pain a little bit and uh you gotta you know add fuel for the revenge and it's certainly um He's certainly decently moody here. Uh, if we talk of his uh, sort of stylish traits as a, as a director, especially a new director, I mean, it's good exercise, I think, Michael, to uh, make a little bit of film that others have. It's it's not the worst exercise. And Hong Kong cinema, by the way, ripping off left and right is also their trademark. So why not uh, practice your uh, slasher uh, slasher film for uh, tricks for five minutes and uh, then? Uh, start leading into the stuff that you uh, that you know well and you're going to do hard so uh, so yeah no, not uh, 
excellent horror, but um, still a, a little directorial exercise, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was effective. I thought it actually it it really it really worked again because with any of these, because like as I said, this is a bog standard revenge movie, right? So as any of these, especially sort of exploitationy revenge movies go, the reason for the revenge has to be horrific enough that you can buy into the main character committing all sorts of atrocities in his quest for revenge. And he nails that. I was ready by the time Pat Ha, that scene is over with her. I I was ready for, you know, and then, of course, he suffers other losses. I was like, nope, nope, Beardy, you go get your revenge, man. You (laughs) do your thing. You go make those people pay. And that's really all you can ask out of an exploitation type revenge movie, right? You just want to feel like the main character is justified in killing a whole bunch of people. And for me. I was in this. That's all I can say. It's fast track too, in a good way. I think even because uh, Patar dies, we're on to the funeral, and then boom, he's in a western saloon. I was like, "You're in a bar, and they're playing saloon type of music." But it looks like, "No, oh, it is a saloon." Okay, so the music actually fits, and that western saloon has a built-in ramp because we're gonna bring in motorbikes, and you build <laughs> build action and stunts around this. It's kind of like this is my concept. Let's write it, and now it is so. It's, it sounds like, well, does the movie really logically need to have an action scene set in a western saloon with bike stunts? Logically, no, but it's fun to have here, and it seems genuinely tight to this area. So the crisscrossing of bikes, uh, riding, uh, riding past him and across the screen, it looks somewhat dangerous, and uh, then someone goes through a window, head down, and uh, through the gloss and I don't know about you that didn't look like super soft gloss necessarily the guy who went through the window on the motorbike it looked like fairly hard fake gloss and uh, at the very least a headache uh, so I, I wasn't taken out of um, out of wild stuff not even the latter scene in the drug den which is a gladiator scene which is very crazy and not even the road warrior stuff maybe it's my deep infatuation with Hong Kong action cinema that if you do random well then uh, I don't very much care about logic because I'm enjoying the random that they're doing here and uh, yeah further highlights uh, uh, there's a little fight with Chan Wai Man punching and kicking uh, Lung Gai with force so clearly Lung Gai is taking the same approach with things and then he does a pretty impressive uh, that is uh, one story jump from his house onto uh, the padded grass or dirt uh, uh, beneath and uh, it's a one-story jump yes to me it still looked you know fairly impressive it's no millionaire's express where you imbue i think flips off three four-story window uh, uh, house robber that's on fire i think and he does um, a somersault of that building as well and then lands that's even more impressive and dangerous but uh, i thought it it looked good uh, on him i don't think these things are necessarily easy to do even that stunt you need to plan out you know well and comparing anybody even you know lunker yun to yun biao is not fair <laughs> you know, right because uh, i'm with you because i i thought that one's and, and especially in particular because it's a one-story jump and he bounces and and runs off you know it wasn't designed to be like 
this was a fall or anything like this. He was like jumping out and, uh, and running off. But, uh, he clearly, I feel like he clearly, and I don't have any insight into this, but I feel like he clearly wanted to show that he had learned stuff over the last 10 years. All these people, Yun Bio, Samo Hung, all these people that he, he had worked with, he wanted to show that he had learned stuff from them and wanted to show that off. And, uh, and going back to what you said, as far as, you know, my undying love of Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, I'm with you. If you do random, well, I don't care. Throw me some road warrior folks. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like logic is overrated in most movies, to be honest with you. I, I'm much more about the experience of watching the movie. By the way, I forgot to mention uh, around this time, uh, Philip Cofey made uh, two other Shaw Brothers movies, uh, Boxer's Omen and Seeding of a Ghost. And uh, because in this movie, he's got a wig, but they build that into the script that he has a wig because his body is scarred and uh, his head is scarred as well. In Seeding of a Ghost, he's clearly wearing a wig. In Boxer's Omen, he has his head shaved and that was filmed around this time as well. So around this time, Cofey had to uh, deal with... uh, obvious uh, obvious wig in a movie or two in this one they sort of say well well let's write it into the script so it doesn't look um, goofy on you and uh, that's a little color to that uh, very sadistic uh, uh, character i wanted to ask you i don't know i know road warrior so um, but i don't know the second movie i'm gonna mention here and uh, i'm sorry if i'm coming up as a dumbass but i'm trying to think of What's the sec like? What's the influence in in the drug den slash gladiator arena sort of setup and fight here? Where's the influence coming from here? And so, so I'm gonna be very ignorant. I'm gonna ask you because I have a feeling you've seen this. Is it at all sort of based on the Warriors? You think, or, is, or, or the Warriors wasn't this out there? Yeah, I I think it's I think it's a little bit. It doesn't really. That scene is one of those that. I didn't get an immediate influence. I'm sure somebody listening is going to tell me, oh, dumbass, it was, you know, this movie right away. For me, what I really got mostly out of it was it's a little bit of a combination of the Warriors and a little bit of a combination of John Carpenter's Escape from New York, but funneled through the Italian directors like Sergio Martino that were making movies ripping off those guys. Cause you know, you mentioned that you felt like the scene where, where Pat Ha gets killed is, is very kind of shallow Argento esque. I sort of feel like that was the same thing here with a lot of the Italian post-apocalyptic movies that came out post road warrior. So what I sort of feel like is that maybe Beardy didn't actually see a lot of the source material, but for whatever reason, he was seeing a lot of the Italian knockoffs and homages because that's really what it felt like to me. It felt like Sergio Martino doing Escape from New York. Because it's a very active scene too. They aren't just like knocked out druggies. They're made up. They have costumes. They have uh, stripes of color on their face. There's a supposed priest here that uh, has a, a aura around him. Obviously, lights that is acquired somehow that lights up, and he's uh, doing chanting, doing something, holding holding a sermon. And then they all come out like zombies as this gladiator fight with the Mohawk leader and his. Uh, 
his bitch on a leash. Yes, he has a woman on a leash that uh, acts like an animal because she uh, leaps at Long Island. I mean, this is this is absolutely mad, mad. There's a devotion to this sequence from a design point of view as well, because someone needed to put this together for all the actors to wear. I mean, we've seen four movies by now, and I don't mind it at all, but standard revenge movie is not what you're thinking when you're in the middle of this sequence, Michael, and it's not a negative, oddly enough. No, it's not a negative at all. For me, at least, it was not a negative at all. I was like... Okay, Beardy. All right. I'm with you. You go on with your bad self. You, you, this is because what I get the sense of with this movie is I feel like this was his directorial shot and he intrinsically knew that he might get another, never get another shot at directing a movie. And so, damn it, he was going to put everything into this movie that he ever wanted to do in a movie, but had never had a chance to. And that's really what it feels like. And I'm never going to be mad about that, man. When I see a movie like that, even if it doesn't work, and I think this one more or less does work, but even if it doesn't work, I'm just never going to be mad about that. Take your shot. Shoot your shot. Make your movie. Go for it. And and I feel like that's really what Beardy was doing here. The road warrior aspect uh, of this with the sort of souped up truck that he uses to um, go after Chan Wai Man in his, uh, in his uh, smaller car. Great concept. Unfortunately, sadly, under cranking ruins this uh, sports car versus the Fury Road truck chase as they uh, go off road. So I, I think it's a case of that they weren't really able to go through with the design in an elaborate way as they wanted to. They couldn't make it as powerful working these two vehicles with each other. So sadly, this moves at a little cartoon level in terms of uh, film speed. But you appreciate what they're trying to do. And I mean, it, it is partly a little bit shaky technically, even the ending. Uh, when he gets his revenge on Chang Yi, I mean, I appreciated one, that uh, there's no excessive talking, he just shoots him. It's, there's a minute left of the movie, so things are going to move fast, but there's no talking or anything. Just shoot him right away, get your revenge. But they're in the middle of the restaurant. So he shoots him, he falls off his chair, cut to him falling out of the window of this uh, tall building that the restaurant is located in. So it, it's kind of choppy in that regard as well. So, But again, debut work is very packed. So it's not like there's the four star going down to two star for me i talked about grade rising and but but this isn't the case of the grade going lower or anything uh but um you know it's stuff you have to learn i suppose uh, as you put together your next uh next film even though nothing really was like profile and anger but uh, by that point it's uh, by that point it's also over really quickly you know ending credits so it's not like we need to deal with somewhat sloppy filmmaking for 20 minutes and be uh, annoyed by that or anything so it's over it didn't work very well that shot and uh, it's fine he did revenge much better than most people do in these movies when they have a one-on-one with the main objective of your revenge just cut the crap about talking and just uh, just uh, do what you need to do so kudos for that just shoot the bastard um which i appreciate but i i will say i'm with you Look, if somebody was coming and and as I'm sure you do, I occasionally get people 
tweeting at me or DMing me saying, hey, you know, I've seen The Killer and Hard Boiled, but I don't know where else to go with Hong Kong, you know, classic Hong Kong cinema. My stock answer is, have you heard of Michael Wong? <laughs> well, that should be everybody's stock answer, <laughs> right? Like, I just, I I actually have a hotkey on my keyboard. I just type final option. Uh, I just hit it and it just immediately puts in final option for people. But no, um, this would not be one that I would use to introduce somebody i don't think because it is a little rough around the edges you know for people like you and me there's a lot to love here i don't think that this would be the right way to go because like you said the the ending is very rushed which is not unusual uh for hong kong cinema but but that last chase with the road warrior truck it was pretty clear that that was where the money ran out and a little bit of you know and and it's always the the abrupt endings anytime i start showing hong kong movies to people the uh, the abrupt endings always catch them off guard they're they're never used to because so many western movies there's an epilogue and there's all this other stuff and here it's like no I, he killed the bad guy why why do we care about anything else he shot if Ho- if hong kong made uh, the return of the king it would have ended uh, 40 minutes earlier you know, the, the ring is now destroyed so hurrah let's go home it literally would have ended with the ring, you know, after Gollum falls in and the ring falls down, you know, starts melting. That's where it would have ended. And we would have gotten some canto pop song to take us through the credits, basically. Uh, that's exactly what would have happened. Yep. Uh, but but yeah, it, it, it's a good openness you have uh, towards, you know, what, what are negative traits of the movie technically versus what, what it fills up with in a positive manner. You know, so that way, that that, that scale is is definitely not, uh, you know, the negative isn't uh, uh, isn't filled up or anything. So, uh, uh, but but you're right. Introducing this uh, early on in the genre, if you're looking for uh, gunplay or revenge actioners, no. By by the time you get to round three or round four, maybe of of movies, maybe you introduce this uh, and uh, see if they're receptive to um, how um, how crazy and weird things can get. Um, logical or not that they um they uh, filmmakers devote themselves to uh, the ideas they have and uh, they execute so uh, that's a positive i think for for profile and anger and at 83 minutes uh, previously my dvd was 80 minutes because uh, as i'll detail in a short bit there there was some things uh, missing from it that uh, like, like probably the worst sequence that that was missing from my old dvd is the slow motion sex scene with kofi and his wife filler 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 you know it didn't add anything to the relationship other than uh yeah we need to sort of boost uh the sex appeal and the running time a bit so not only a sex scene but it's gonna be slow so slow and so gropy as i said you know i'll <laughs> just, just just try it to to just you know to quote the old soul song just try a little tenderness that's so it's okay you can you don't have to just paw at people <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that character was an animal, so you know maybe it comes from from a logical place anyway. But uh, but yeah, the, the, that was the new sequence, and I I uh, could have lived without it. But anyway, uh, that's the end of my notes. So uh, anything else you want to say about profile and anger, Michael? No, other than thank you for giving me a reason to watch this uh, because I had not seen this one, and I, you know, it's not exceptional, it's not mind blowing, but I. I really enjoyed the hell out of watching it. I had a very good time watching this one. 
Uh, well, as for availability, um, compared to um, some previously issued Hong Kong home video versions, um, you know, going back in the day, uh, the mainland DVD from the label WA was presented uncut in the violence department. Uh, that was the first DVD I got. It was missing said sex scene involving Philip Coe and uh, sections of a dialogue scene again with his uh, with him and his wife where he's walking around naked you, you see his butt that was cut from that particular DVD that mainland DVD it was only in Mandarin as expected and also had the tagged on bad deeds means prison ending which is really just a shot of Langayan's hand picking up a phone and then a shot of a newspaper and then the credits roll, so uh, there's no elaborate uh, extra scene going on for four or five minutes, no elaborate coda or anything, just something that needed to be there for that market uh, to show that crime uh, doesn't uh, pay and you need to be punished for the crimes that you commit. But um, So it was interesting to see that and to have that in your collection uh, because of that. The Hong Kong DVD by Joy Sales is the more recent one, but it's reportedly uncut. Uh, it uh, w- watching it this time around I didn't feel like any sequences were missing so that's probably true sadly that is a bit elusive now and goes for quite high prices on eBay so keep an eye out, eye out for a reasonable price disc and maybe fingers crossed uh, like a Blu-ray reissue in um, in the future but uh, this is how it stands um, currently for Profile in Anger maybe it's available on the thing that starts with uh, Y and ends with Tube who knows I have no idea about what you, this thing that you speak, uh, but I'm sure smart listeners will understand that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that is a very subtle, subtle clue. But um, I'm going to let you do your, do your detective work all by yourself, listeners, uh, while you listen to a promo break. So listen to uh, a little spot from one of our friends in the podcasting community. And we'll be back uh, after to discuss Danger Has Two Faces from 1985. Bede is not uh, directing uh, this one, but he is uh, for hire as an assassin in the 1985 Shaw Brothers production. So he was back. Uh, on his old uh, old stomping grounds at his old horns, I suppose, uh, in 1985. So we'll be right back uh, to uh, talk about it. Hey, everyone. You are listening to the podcast on Fire Network. My name is Bird. And I'm Matt. We are the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. So if you like giant monsters, Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman, uh, King Kong, you like Japanese sci-fi, we are the place to be. And you can check us out online in several places. Isn't that right, Matt? Yeah, check us out on Twitter. Uh, Our handle is KT underscore podcast. Or visit us on Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. And you can also email us at Kaiju Transmissions Podcast at gmail.com. So if you like your monsters gigantic, angry, and rubbery, check us out. And welcome back. We are going to review here the second half, Danger Has Two Faces, and plot from my review of the film. The movie is from 1985. Uh, returning home from the UK, Inspector Bobby, played by Bei Chung, is handed uh, robbery cases that connects to a murderer, taking out uh, only the criminals themselves. Uh, doing his duty, but also having to manage a group of largely disinterested cops. What Bobby doesn't know is that the killer is childhood friend and ex-cop Jin, played by Beatty himself, Lung Gaian. The employers of Jin are also high-ranking in many regards, so um, that's a very minimal plot uh, because there are some twists here, and I think we're going to try and keep this spoiler-free because there are 
reveals about who's behind what that uh, viewers might want to experience for themselves because uh, compared to profile and anger we're not at the end yet but this one you can get still it's available cheaply on dvd still so but we'll get to that this was a late in the day shaw brothers modern action film helmed by alex chung who occupies a noteworthy place in the so-called hong kong new wave of the late 70s and early 80s he was a lifelong film fan he is he's still alive uh, that took his uh, love for watching to making he bought his own uh, uh, his first eight mm eight millimeter camera at 16 and started making movies with his friends uh, such a dedication to developing his eye led to wanting to direct for a living and in 1973 he entered four of his short films into an experimental film competition uh, organized by the hong kong federation of students and he ended up winning multiple awards along with future trailblazers that you might have heard of such as john woo john woo made the experimental art films at one point in his um, student career uh, i remember the criterion collection featured one of them on uh, both their laser disc and their dvd very um, very abstract and uh, in a silent uh, black and white experimental art film by john woo and with john woo so that was that was what he was doing um, before he got into um, into filmmaking uh, properly and uh, Alex Chung entered the world of television commercial, first of all, uh, working for both the likes of TVB and RTHK, but he left the former in 1979 to direct his first feature, Cops and Robbers. Uh, receiving critical acclaim and reportedly making an impact at the box office, critics noted his mature approach to cinema. There was a grittiness present that audiences responded to, and he followed up this wave of success with the undercover cop drama Man on the Brink in uh, 1980. 1981 which is his personal favorite um, the film was a multi-winner and nominee at uh, taiwan's golden horse awards taking home statuettes for best director actor editing while the film score and original film song performed by kenny b not me made up some of the nominations um, so out of the gate two successful films uh, thankfully both of these films have now received wide exposure again through hong kong blu-ray releases and alex has expressed support by appearing in extras for like the disc release for man on the brink in hong kong has some interview stuff with uh, with alex so uh, with this bus surrounding the surrounding the director shaw brothers invited him to join the studio and the result was the wacky sci-fi film twinkle twinkle little star yes the man who made gritty cops and robbers and poignant undercover cop drama wacky sci-fi film <laughs> and i like it it was budgeted at over 10 million and took over two years to complete because Shaw Brothers were aiming for a spectacle of note even if it was a wacky one and for me it was pure joy watching a filmmaker managing to show skill in maintaining energy uh, in a very colorful full Shaw scope so alex uh, throws a ufo mystery at us Cherry Chung is here as an extremely unlucky woman. There's goofy private detectives. A doctor drinks his own concoction and turn, turns into a monster in the process. There's key imagery from Star Wars, Encounters of the, encounters of the Third Kind. I almost said Encounters of the Spooky Kind, but no, Encounters of the Third Kind. And believe it or not, there's barely a slow patch in the proceedings. Um, uh, Fast-paced banter is here, musical numbers, ambitious uh, special effects, and it's all capped with a real featuring actor james ye uh, abducted almost probed but more importantly he faces off against the darth vader of this film and it's a lightsaber duel that george lucas and 
Hong Kong way combined. It's hysterical. Thankfully, it panned out. That was a fun film, despite making dark films. Um, first of all, I have never seen this. I did not know this existed. I am going to need to absolutely track this down and see this thing. It was one of the first movies that were released in that line of Shaw Brothers DVDs in Hong Kong. I remember it was from the first batch. Like, you you got some known films. Come drink with me. Heroic ones. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> what is this? And I had a good time. I had, I had such a good time uh, with it. Uh, so, yeah, I would recommend it. I have it somewhere. So uh, if you can't find it, uh, then I'll, I'll be happy to share a copy. Because sharing is caring. I'll try and track it down. But if not, I'll definitely be hitting you up. Because I need to see this one. And uh, Alice concluded his Shaw Brothers career with uh, Danger Has Two Faces and apparently couldn't really get new projects off the ground easily, so he relied on shooting commercials after that point. He directed Chatter Street Killer in 1988 uh, and subsequently directed uh, Framed, which is a gritty and decent enough Alex Mann movie. And his last film was the 1997 movie uh, Made in Heaven, which I haven't seen. Uh, look him up on social media and you'll see a director that's quite active still, sharing memories uh, of his, uh, of his uh, life-making movies. And uh, off note, by the way, Chung was actually roped in to direct special effects for the Sam Hoy Lunar New Year vehicle, Legend of Wisely. And one can only assume that was on the strengths of his work on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, where he actually was his own cinematographer as well. So yeah, a technician, but also a dramatic, direct, dramatic director of note. Does that show up in Danger Has Two Faces? Not really. I mean, it's quite fun when it's a, when it's a gory action thriller, but Alex Chung sort of returning to a genre, arguably. I mean, he's in Cops and Robbers mode here. It kind of felt like it was never meant to make an imprint, um, this uh, late production uh, at the ailing Shaw Brothers. Um, you would think it's a good fit, but it really isn't. But the sporadic, gory fun, you know, when body parts go kablooey, that was fun. But unlike Profile and Anger, it can't sustain uh, momentum by being, you know, heroic gore shed occasionally. So, yeah, I can pick up some bits that I really, really like. And some that I definitely do not. So, um, so uh, in short, uh, what's your opinion on uh, "Of Danger Has Two Faces"? I don't know if you came up with the title or if Puff historian Jay Lee came up with the title. He, he pro he programmed this uh, uh, this through and through. I had nothing to do with picking these, but I follow his commands. Yeah, I knew he picked the movies. I just didn't know if he came up with the t- the title of "Beardy at the Helm" versus Beard for Hire." Yeah, that was him. This is 100% Beardy for Hire, and I almost kind of feel like it's everybody for Hire on this one. I mean, there's just, you know, where Profile and Anger feels, everybody feels, for better or worse, feels so invested. Everybody here just feels kind of going through the motions. Uh, There's just nothing here that really stands out for anything. I mean, yes, I do like that, that Beardy's character, uh, Kamchi Kin, you know, he's got that giant cannon, that dirty Harry style cannon that just blows six inch holes in people. But so much of this is just going through the motions. There's a lot of downtime, a lot of just waiting for, you know, we talked about profile and anger about how, you know, Hong Kong movies, especially Pom Pom and Hot Hot was the one that told me wait till the end of the movie because so many third acts 
And this is one where from the start, I was like, okay, I'm clearly just going to wait till the third act here because there's not a whole lot going on here. Uh, For as much plot as there is, there's still not a lot of movement in this movie until we kind of get to the kind of get to the end. And and like you said, I'm going to try and avoid any kind of spoilers. But yeah, this one was, uh, you know, I watched both Profile and Anger in this in the same day back to back and there's no question i felt like this was a pretty significant step down for me yeah very much so i mean it it opens um promising enough i suppose uh with the uh, with uh, beery suiting up uh being very stylish and uh he goes out uh assassinating people in his uh, leather jacket and pants because uh, he's a killer who doesn't uh, need to blend in um uh, because he takes uh, care of his uh, victims uh, quickly through through his cannon, you know. But it, uh, I found that amusing that um, you know why uh, camouflage yourself when uh, when you take out people by you know shooting them in their hands and uh, their hands blow apart essentially. So there's some fun squib work here. So that's a lot to live up to because uh, that's what we get at the top of the movie. And whenever it concerns itself with violence, that positive grade reappears but that's way too sporadic for the movie to achieve any continual uh, momentum it's also important to and I, I looked at this with a little bit of fascination that this is a Shaw Brothers film this is a, from a big studio that arguably they were ailing and this was the last uh, year of uh, of release and uh, they have to try and catch audiences somehow so but what they didn't really transition well out of was the old school to the new wave and into the modern Hong Kong movie. But this movie at least looks the part. It doesn't feel like a very studio-bound film. I mean, the police station, the very active police station, that, that might be a set, but it looks good enough. And the opening is at a train station, so seen quickly thereafter, a boat and so forth. So it doesn't scream, as I told you off air, if I would have cut off the... Um, the Shawscope logo at the top. And uh, you, you can answer this um, to the listeners. Would you have guessed this was a Shaw Brothers film based on the look and feel? No, this 100% feels more like a Golden Harvest film to me. Uh, you know, especially, again, no spoilers, but the finale takes place in a forest and it's an actual forest. It's not really like a set bound forest. There's nothing, you, you nailed it. There's nothing really set bound about most of this movie yeah i mean i don't expect them to do the wuxia thing of uh, running around on outdoor sets that are clearly indoors but it creates that artificiality for the fantastical so it kind of works out i'm not expecting them to do that for a modern film but still it's nice to see Shaw brothers at least uh, trying to break out of the studio but at that point it was very much too late and golden harvest and cinema city were dominating the box office and um they had tried during the 80s to amp up violence uh, but also amp up horror making really gross horror movies and it didn't really work uh, financially i mean they're, they're pretty great <laughs> the boxes omen and seating of a ghost i i have a good time with them but i i love seating of a ghost more than i can even describe I just absolutely adore seating the ghost. So I'm with you, but I, I can't imagine that's what people wanted out of. No, people wanted to have fun and the the horror horror comedy combos from elsewhere that worked so much better. But Shaw Brothers, uh, as I read in a in an article doing research for something else, that Shaw Brothers went for the we don't want audiences to laugh, we want them to bath in their popcorn. And yeah, mission accomplished. 
the people who went. So there's a little echo here of uh, extreme violence, um, but I don't mind it. There's some fun cameos here at the very active police station. Charlie Cho appears here. Seems to be an authority figure. It's very confusing. It looks like he has a gun. He has a suit on. Then uh, Kirk Wong comes into the scene as well. The otherwise director Kirk Wong is here, starting off an acting career that um, w- that often included playing villains, which he did really well. And uh, then and usually you grew to hate Kirk Wong, and you sort of do here because he slaps a hostess at one point. But it's a very confusing active scene of interrogations where it turns out Charlie Cho isn't an authority figure because they beat him up. He's a suspect. And then you have the briefing shortly thereafter with uh, with uh, Bei Cheng and then Paul Chu as well is their superior. And you realize, oh, the team that looks uh, crazy. I think one person even has blackface on. They're the guys. They're the cops. So, okay, fine. A little bit whacked out, but okay, well, where do we go from here? And the movie never really, Michael, is trying to be uh, crazy comedic like that. It's a little quirk. But mostly it sets its target on police procedural thriller, some action uh, using these guys. So uh, that's, I guess, is the craziest it gets. And it was never really, it was more confusing than like, <laughs> wow, that was a dare. That, that was brave. It was more like, oh, okay, well, well, active. But yeah, we're moving on now. Well, that's what's interesting to me about this one when compared to Profile and Anger is I feel like the tonal shifts in this one are almost more jarring because so much of profile and anger doesn't feel like it takes place in anything resembling the real world, right? It's this really heightened, fantastical sort of world, especially once we really start getting into the movie. Whereas this one, so much of it and just the way it's shot, the way it looks, everything just looks so standard police procedural and then you get these kind of weird tonal shifts that in my opinion don't work you know i'm I'm certainly someone who's used to things like musical interludes in hong kong movies but in this particular movie it was kind of like why you know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but but why is carol why are we getting a three-minute music video with carol gordon taking pictures of kirk wong and then like you said the the blackface and stuff like that and none of that really kind of gels together with this storyline of beardy's actual storyline of who he is and his character and what he's trying to do. Um, There's a lot of this that I just, it doesn't really hold together, but it's not interesting enough or zany enough to keep your interest. The the tonal whiplash of of Hong Kong movies, I'm unashamedly open to it. This time I wasn't really. I mean, the, the dips into comedy where um, they, the the big circle gang, they rob this armored transport. The robbers are a bit verbal and silly. The guards are a bit silly as well. I mean, it seems alive. They, it's a very elaborate um, heist. After that silliness, uh, we go into the fact that uh, these robbers are brutal and they are going to straight up murder these um, these. Um, um, transport guards, they do. And that brutality, that gleeful sadism, combined with clownish external behavior, doesn't equal edge and danger or anything. It just sort of makes you scratch your head. Why does these thing? Why are these things placed so close together? I mean, I like the bloodbath. It's it's fine. 
for this sequence is fine for that, but uh, it so much here is uh, sporadic. Uh, the spikes are very sporadic, and uh, in this case, it's not good enough. And I, I, I sense Alec Chung is uh, working from kind of whatever he has here, even though he co-wrote the script, but uh, it doesn't seem like he can pour as much uh, danger and edge and heart into this as he has making his uh, other darker films. Uh, it very much feels like a contractual obligation in many ways, and uh, that's not good enough either, you know, for, for lasting impact. Yeah, that's what's so weird about this movie is is so much of it feels like a kind of glossy, almost higher budget Hong Kong action movie. But then there's this constant tug and I'm, I'm almost wondering if that's coming from Alex Chung of wanting it to be darker and wanting it to be grittier and wanting it to be much more hard hitting much more something like long arm of the law but it, it's not because we're getting this glossy silly comedy and and you know you know i'd argue that one of the first missteps is unfortunately lungayan's opening scene as he suits up because maybe it's the dated wardrobe choice or something but i, I didn't feel like uh, that was um uh, you know the making of a assassination story it's sort of like it looked over stylized rather than uh, gritty and somewhat realistic yeah that, and that's exactly it i mean there's there's definitely some scenes in this that that feel you can see kind of the movie that it maybe wanted to be but but i'm with you his his as quote-unquote assassination outfits yes and i know it was made in 1985 and look fashion in 85 i'm an 80s kid i will admit it fashion in 85 was ridiculous but you contrast it to say some of the triad movies you know we're a year out from a better tomorrow so we don't have chow yun fat's defining look but even even some of the movies coming along like i mentioned long arm of the law where you've got people in you know they're in suits and they're looking very sharp with sunglasses and we're getting him in a puffy 80s jacket that looks like he's a background dancer in a michael jackson video i don't know it, it just doesn't nothing comes together in this movie for and, and and it's funny that you mentioned Long Arm of the Lord that also dealt with the big circle gang out of mainland China, which this does as well. And you realize that, whoa, there's a difference in efficiency here. Because Long Arm of the Lord is straight up classic for me and uh, and uh, dangerous and exciting as an action picture. And um, here it doesn't, uh, doesn't work. And then obviously he tries to create uh, some sort of sympathy in us liking the team of cops but you know that police station banter and the funny interaction that they have uh, some scenes of levity it's not enough for us to start liking this group it's a very much anonymous group i mean the only one i like but it's merely because i I like kirk wong as an actor i like when kirk wong plays a bastard and he does that very very well Uh, i'm not saying it's cool that he hits a a hostess or anything but uh, you know the director of the club and uh, later on the big hit and obviously organized crime and trial bureau that he will turn out to be such a natural bastard of a screen villain in various Hong Kong movies is, is sort of delightful and I like seeing him, him here I think uh, Kirk looks looks sharp 
it doesn't spike as much as I like, despite we're getting, you know, a sort of stylish second assassination that eventually requires Langayan to perform surgery on himself. So it's kind of gory that way, a nice little prosthetic uh, that they set up for Langayan to dig into. That's good enough, but then also you have problem with characterization coming to uh, uh, the character of Bobby, played by, well, his real name is Chris Phillips, but uh, his uh, stage name is Bei Chung. He's supposedly experienced in some shape or form, so he is immediately, uh, he is uh, said to be team leader. And he looks green. You know, the character looks uh, dorky and green and unsure of himself. And I never bought that, that there's a cop of great instinct there that was born a leader of this rowdy bunch. It might come down to a contractual thing as well. He was a singer, so maybe we have you on the contract and here's the film you're going to be in. Shove him into the, into the film. And you're a cop now. But but it's a case of the casting uh, not feeling natural, necessarily. Lung Yang can, you know, play a badass and be an assassin. He's, he's fine enough in that role. But uh, the Bobby character is someone I, I never bought at all. He just looks like a big friggin' nerd for the whole movie, man. Like, he's, you know, the idea is, of course, they're trying to set up this thing. They're old friends. He's, again, avoiding spoilers, but let's just say they're on divergent paths. And, uh, yeah, he just, Bobby, the Bobby character, he just feels kind of like a big nerd. And, again, I don't want to keep going back to it. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm being a broken record here by bringing up pom-pom and hot hot but i think about how uh steven tongue Wai looks in that movie where he also looks like a big friggin nerd but he's still steven tongue Wai, and and so when the action and everything goes down he's 100 percent convincing and believable and here i never like i'm like man if beardy is not with you in these action scenes you're dead dude like, like you're, you're not getting out of this alive. There is zero chance you're getting out of this alive. You're just lucky enough that, that Beardy's going to pull you out of all of this. Uh, because, yeah, I thought he was a real, which is actually interesting because I, I kind of thought Carol Gordon, who unfortunately never really went on to a very big career, I thought she was actually kind of great as Jenny. I, I really enjoyed her. I mean, she was incredibly attractive, but I also thought she had a sort of effervescence that was missing from a lot of the rest of the movie. But there was no scenario where I'm like, yeah, I understand why Bobby and Jenny are like, even in the same stratosphere. Right. When you can't connect basically to a, to a relationship, then, then a movie is into trouble, I suppose. Uh, so, so yeah, I very much agree. Some good points, I think, uh, but again, it didn't last for, very long that there was some decent tension as Alex Chung cuts uh, cuts between characters trying to put together this puzzle of trying to identify which character was written on a gravestone as someone died. And there, there's some good intercutting between what uh, Bei Chung is doing and what Paul Chu is doing in front of his whiteboard. Paul Chu, as you might remember, as you might know uh, of Han Michael, he's, uh, he co-stars in The Killer. Is a uh, Chai Fat's um, contact and uh, best friend and killer. Excellent actor. Excellent actor. And definitely for me, one of the high points of this movie. No question. He's a good non verbal reactor, even working the whiteboard as he does, you know, trying, you know, the cocks in his head. You keep, you realize they are, they are moving. And, uh, uh, but, but they're, they're, they're sporadic highlights. And uh, even though, yes, it's more thriller than action and uh, 
so, so it isn't you know it doesn't have fights or kung fu or whatever Be, being a thriller doesn't elevate it being being a full-on action picture as it is towards the end doesn't elevate it uh, either so it really comes and goes like start and then sputters start and then sputters uh, because I really like some some staging, there's some callous executions uh, towards the midpoint of the movie. A very much innocent character gets a bullet in the head, and it's very eerie. But it never really gets into a groove, into cutting between you know uh, the realizations of who is behind what and uh, how deep the corruption goes and blah blah blah. Uh, and there's no great weight to when the worlds collide, when you know when uh, Beatrice's character is asked to kill Bobby later in the film. By the time you get towards those latter stages, even though it's a good distraction how violent it gets, it also kind of gets ridiculous, Michael, because they they have done big squips, you know, with his cannon blowing apart a hand. Good. I don't know if that's realistic, but I'll buy that. I had a little bit trouble (laughs) buying the fact that one person he shoots towards the end, that person's stomach just explodes. It's a big squib they have on that actor and a big, uh, big uh, little prosthetic. By that point, I thought, I think you're going too far. Now it's cartoony. And when I can't be properly distracted by violence to elevate the grade a little bit, then I think you're also in trouble. When, 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 when moments like that make you feel like, that looks dumb. And I don't want to say that about bloodshed because I like bloodshed. <laughs> You know, I I was really looking forward to as I was watching this because again, I, this is a first time watch for me. When we finally get to the the climax and all the chess pieces are in place and all the the worlds have crossed over and all the secrets are revealed, I was like, all right, now it's going to be on. And I'm like, and I I legitimately said to myself this is going to be one of those hong kong movies where i hate 75 percent of it but for the next 15 minutes this thing is going to sell me it did not there was some decent stuff i thought uh but i'm with you it was very clear that beardy's canon was influenced by clint eastwood's canon in uh the fourth dirty harry movie sudden impact oh oh my god i'm sorry it didn't sit well with me that I didn't recognize where that was from. I I'm not a gun guy, but that design looks so familiar, but screw it. I, I can't think of it. You're right, of course. Yeah, that's <laughs> where I was from. Yep. Uh, but some of the squibs were just so cartoonish, you know, and, and dramatically, narratively, we have what should be a very impactful, moving, upsetting ending here. But it's all just so cartoonish and so and and bobby is so over the top in how he's acting during all of this that it just detracts from any dramatic heft or weight that's going on during this finale they even inject shaolin kung fu and, and i'm like come on no yeah no I, it may be a show brothers movie but i would have loved to sort of find that joke very compelling that the person who who says that I'm I'm not going to shoot you, I'm going to fight you because I'm so corrupt and I'm so confident so cocksure about (laughs) that uh, I'm going to end up on top here and uh, take you out uh, because I'm so corrupt, ha 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 I'm going to use Shaolin Kung Fu, you just know that's going to fail and I would have loved to be charmed by that that stupidity because bad guys are stupid and I would have loved to be fully charmed by the fact that uh, we get harpoons at one point and uh, People, uh, people with scuba gear, including uh, 
including uh, oxygen tubes and uh, we get full body explosions and a big motorbike chase on admirable stunts and big explosions and I wasn't charmed by it. I like listening it. Sounds awesome when you list it, but I wasn't charmed by the violence and the ending going off the rails as much as it did from thriller to action. I would have liked to be. I wasn't then and I still am not. This is a perfect example of how sometimes you can have all the right parts and still be completely uninteresting. Because in isolation, there are parts of this movie that feel like they should work a perfect example is that one that you were saying you know the guy i'm the bad guy i'm gonna fight you and i'm like immediately i'm like i know how this is gonna end because there's nothing about the character that he's fighting that has indicated that there's any way other that this can end you know again if it had been going back to what i made earlier if it had been stephen tung why we might have been like, oh, well, maybe we're actually going to get a cool martial arts fight. Like we knew what the punchline on that joke was going to be. And it took way too long to get to that punchline because it's just it was not. Yeah. Like you said, I would have loved to have been charmed by this movie. I was not charmed in the slightest by I, I guess I will say I found Carol Gordon as Jenny kind of charming. And and I'm with you on Kirk Wong as as charm, you know, charming might not be the right word, but I enjoyed watching one of my favorite Hong Kong directors be just such an utter piece of crap for most of the movie. Uh, that was enjoyable, but I was not charmed by anything else in this movie. Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, it, it might seem like highlights the, the, this extreme level of violence. Um splatter-like levels but uh, I'd, I'd rather just watch like uh, speaking of uh, Kirk Wong like the big heat uh, not not the big uh, uh, yeah the big heat <laughs> the big hit I would love to watch again I, I'm a I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, the genius that is the big hit by Kirk Wong but he's also in the big heat which is uh, a latter um, heroic bloodshed movie that also amps the gore level to great levels and he's in that for a bit we'll watch that for something better and more harder edged using similar levels of extreme violence and so and, and, and the motorbike chase by the way if you watch that yeah that's got some admirable stunts but uh, you know the lasting effect uh, isn't there so some efforts definitely um, they do not linger and that's a shame because uh, there are some there, there are some admirable stretches here of uh, stunt techniques uh, kudos for trying i suppose sure brothers but uh, the, the clock was ticking and the uh, productions uh, ceased at the end of that year well, and again, back to the man of the hour, you know, Beardy for hire. He's he's just he's so for hire in this. You know, you, you contrast what he's doing in profile and anger and how much effort he's putting, let alone, you know, his better stuff like knockabout or dreadnought. But you contrast how much effort he's putting into profile and anger versus what he's doing here, where I I almost feel like you can see him counting the new car or the nice vacation that this movie's going to buy him. Yeah, Impact isn't um, what I associate with uh, with his performance uh, here as uh, cool as vicious and vicious as uh, as he looks at points. But uh, but yeah, you uh, you perhaps should turn to one of his because um, I was thinking like I did some research on this uh, recently as well for another show, and I, I remember typing in my notes that. That particular movie was probably one of the last Shaw Brothers releases of 1985 before they ceased 
productions for a while. And I thought, like, was it Dangerous Two Faces? No, it wasn't, uh, because that was earlier in the year. And the movie I was thinking of, that probably was one of the last productions that Langayan is in as well, is Hong Kong Godfather. And that movie delivers. Because that is, uh, you know, a, a violence and a half from director Johnny Wang. So I don't know if you're familiar with uh, that um, uh, Hong Kong Godfather. There, there, there are two. One with Andy Lau, but this is with Langayan and Norman Choi and uh, directed by Johnny Wang. I am familiar with it, but I have not seen it. Good, violent swan song for Shaw Brothers. It's a modern movie as well, and uh, it's a fan favorite for a reason. So I recommend checking that out if you can find it. I have the DVD here because uh, don't expect, if talking Hong Kong Godfather, to pay 20, 30 bucks for the, like, the, the Funimation DVD that came out in America. No, 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 no. 100, 180, 300, whatever the seller feels that day. It's one of those DVDs. It's quite elusive. But uh, Hong Kong Godfather, if you want to watch Shaw Brothers do something great at the very tail end of their incredible multi-decade run, it's Hong Kong Godfather you need to watch. Violence. Starring violence. That's what it's also starring. Uh, but uh, I don't have any anything else to say about the danger has two faces other than uh, my, mind ha- my, my mind changes a lot. Sometimes I dislike a movie I watched in 2008, then watch it in 2021. It's like, ah, not too bad. This one was pretty much entirely the same as, as uh, the first time I watched it. So I'm honestly stunned we got almost an hour out of talking about this one. I mean, and I, I feel like that's the biggest thing for me to say is I have absolutely nothing to say about this movie it, because it's not so bad that it just it made me angry. You know, I can think of a hundred Hong Kong movies that are worse than this one, but I would have a whole lot more to say about them. This one's just kind of, this is the epitome of like, just skip it. There's no reason to really watch this movie. Just skip it. It always says another show production at the end of it. So that's uh, what you should do. Watch another. Yep. That that's 100% agreed. And so as for availability, Danger has two faces had a remastered DVD in Hong Kong and Taiwan because uh, the label Delta Mac did ports for the Taiwanese markets. And that meant the DVD was identical, including subtitles. And that DVD in Taiwan from Delta Mac is available for a reasonable price. So uh, Danger has two faces um, can be obtained if you want to check it out. So uh, that is a good thing because you, you never know. Uh, but the, these Taiwan editions are still around and not overpriced, which is um, which is good. That is us for this versus uh, episode. So if we were to crown a winner, then profile and anger all the way, of course. But uh, it's really not the intent of the versus series. Uh, it, it's just a fun way to put together two movies that sh- have something in common, uh, whether theme, content, cast, director, and so forth. And this time it was it was beardy. So. Um, very grateful, Michael, for you taking the time and uh, for um, investing in this. And uh, it's always a pleasure to um, to break down these movies uh, with you, whether new viewings for you or not. I mean, uh, the previous ones we did, they they were reviewing, so it was nice to hear you uh, come at something with a totally fresh eye and uh, offer up the same amount of fairness that you always do. So I'm very grateful for it, buddy. I, I appreciate it. And I, I, it really gave me a chance. Like I said, you know, I, I feel like maybe the first thing I saw Beardy in was probably Dreadnought because that was one of the first movies that really got him. But he's been an actor that I've seen a ton of his movies, but I've never really actually spent that much time diving into him. So 
regardless of what I thought of the movies, I appreciated, you know, and again, I was very clear. I really, really enjoyed one of them. I was really appreciative of the opportunity to dive into his career, dive into his history. And now I feel like he's an actor that I will spend more time looking into. And and so I, I really did appreciate the opportunity. So thank you as always, buddy. And uh, that is us. So I'm not going to linger on our contact information other than for all your podcast on fire network needs, go to podcast social media links, links to where you can get us uh, on the podcast uh, platforms and so forth, all available on there. So I'm going to hand it over to you for a, uh, not a final uh, uh, not a final plug because I'm sure you're going to plug it tons of times in the future but a final plug during this episode for your podcast so where can the kids uh, find your show you can find me personally at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd you can find Adkins Undisputed the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world at basically any place uh, that you listen to podcasts or just go to Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed Pod. You mentioned to me that uh, you, you have an ending point, uh, despite Scott Adkins' career not coming to an end. But clearly, you're going to come back and review John Wick 4 at some point, right? Yes, absolutely. So for people, because I've had people ask that, so I'm glad you brought it up. So I actually have a couple of things in the pipeline. One, when I reach, so as it stands right now, the ending point for the show is going to be when I get to Max Cloud. Uh, It depends on if Castle Falls or John Wick 4 or One Shot come out before I get to the end of the show. Those will be the end, but the feed will stay active. Uh, Scott is still a very active actor so the show will continue as long as he makes new movies i will always come back and do a new episode for his new movies um and the other thing that i do want to i do want to say is after i get to that point i am also going to be doing a very uh a six or seven episode mini series on brandon lee in the same format that i do adkins undisputed and then I know what my next, who the next action star I'm tackling and what that will be, but I am not at the point yet where I'm ready to announce that. Uh, But everybody should, if you listen to me already, be comfortable knowing that I'm not going anywhere and what I'm doing isn't going anywhere anytime in the near future. Glad you're uh, pursuing those creative instincts and uh, not uh, worn out due to this uh, format so uh, finding something new but doing it in the same format still means it's new it's a new idea and uh, something new and exciting and you can evolve the format as well so um, that's uh, sounds very exciting so uh, uh, but yeah the, it would be a shame I mean you you have you have an audience so therefore when John Wick 4 comes around I mean it is 4 right it's not 5 yep yeah, no it's it's 4 they're filming it. They're actually filming it right now as we record. So, but my point is, you you have a fan base, you have a listenership, so they they would at you, they would DM you, demanding a John Wick four review with or without Scott's involvement on the show. So, uh, whenever that happens in a year or so, then uh, then I'm sure there will be a, a, a meaty episode uh, on it. So. Yeah, as long as Scott keeps making movies, I'll keep making podcast episodes. That That is one thing that I can assure people. As long as he keeps making movies, I'll keep making podcast episodes. Excellent. Well, 
let's uh, let's sign off then. Check out that games undisputed. The links are in the show post. And uh, my name is Kennedy, and with me was. Uh, and uh, I was very pleased that it was uh, Michael Scott of the Atkins Undisputed podcast. Don't feel any pressure. Just say goodbye to the kids and adults listening. Thanks, Kenny. Always a pleasure, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>